I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, letting you know I'll be in Nashville October 27th. I'll be at Zany's at 9.30, screening Hail Yourself America. So come check it out, and we will hang out afterwards. Also, I will be at Politicon October 26th and 27th, where they'll be promoting Hail Yourself America in their democracy room. All right, everyone, see you in Nashville this weekend. Hail yourselves. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. Ben, I would like to officially welcome to the resistance Rudy Giuliani. Oh, my God. Is he part of the resistance now? No, actually, his butt cheek is really yes. what happened with uh, first of all i don't want to think about rudy giuliani's butt shake but uh since you brought it up uh now i guess we have to talk about only it. i'm only i'm <laughs> only welcoming one of his butt cheeks only one only one but uh rudy giuliani butt dialed an nbc reporter and he was heard discussing the need for cash and uh he also trashed the bidens on this butt dial call that lasted three minutes no where he, kid he basically laid out um all the gripes and controversies surrounding uh, uh, him and Trump right now in a butt dial to a an NBC reporter. You know, every time Giuliani speaks to a reporter, it seems like a butt dial. But now this is a true butt dial. And I would assume he didn't want this information to be made public. No, not at all. And if you think this is the first time this has happened, it's actually not. It is. The He's second, got a big took us to be is, fair. It is the second time. That Rudy Giuliani has not only butt dialed anyone, but butt dialed an NBC reporter, and not only any NBC reporter, (laughs) the same NBC reporter he butt dialed twice recently. So what, he just has this NBC reporter's, like he just stares at their phone number and he's just like, at any moment I could call, and then apparently his ass takes the wheel and he does end up calling. My theory is that Rudy Giuliani's asshole has a guilty conscience. It could be! It could be. All right. We have a lot of stuff to get to. We're going to continue our conversation a little bit on what's going on in Syria regarding the Kurds. Everything Donald Trump said he was going to do when it comes to Turkish leader Erdogan, he's not going to do. Therefore, um, basically, any sort of like anything good that could have happened is not going to happen. And he completely messed it up. So there you go. And you are boo-boo the fool if you thought that anything good was going to come of that. You know, I'm an optimist, and I try my best to maintain optimism. But indeed, that was a great conversation, and we had a very interesting response to that. Some people agreed with Travis, some people agreed with me, but that is the whole point of uh, discussion and debate, is that people can disagree uh, as long as their intentions are good. But Donald Trump, I guess just quickly we can go over it. Basically, he said, Erdogan, uh, if you do anything, there's going to be a lot of violence. There's going to be a lot of blood. We're going to go in there and we're going to take care of business. But in reality, there will be no sanctions against his regime, Erdogan's regime. Donald Trump isn't going to do anything whatsoever negative. As a matter of fact, Erdogan has managed to flip the script, flipped the power script when it comes to Donald Trump. As Erdogan is now demanding that Donald Trump hand over a Kurdish militia leader. Uh, this is uh, just happened. This is very recent news. 
Erdogan demanded Donald Trump hand over uh, this leader of a Kurdish militia. The guy's name is Mazlum, and he's like, according to Erdogan, a terrorist, because, of course, that term is relatively subjective, isn't it? Right. So now it's come to a point where not only did Donald Trump basically cede power in that area to Erdogan, but now he's actually possibly going to comply with a request for extradition of a Kurdish militia member, air quotes, really, again, just proving um, that he just loves these strong men more than our own country. And you know what? As much as I think, in, in theory, getting out of the Middle East is the way to go, uh, in practicality, in actuality, what Donald Trump is doing now, it was all lip service. It was all a bunch of lies. He's simply uh, kowtowing once again uh, to a dictatorship, to a violent regime. And even if we were going to get out of Syria when it comes to northern Syria, allow the Kurds to kind of uh, defend themselves and join forces with Assad, we're still going to have troops there protecting our oil interests anyway so that ISIS can't go and destroy all of the oil fields and things like that because obviously we saw when Iran sent the missiles over to Saudi Arabia's oil fields and blew up all of the oil containers, uh, we saw the markets go completely insane. So anyway, yeah. that's what's going on right now in the Trump, Middle East. Trump so. shot himself in his big gout foot. That's, I just... That's, it, it, there is no... We lost in that little that little uh, roundabout that happened. The Kurds and the, and the Americans lost. And then uh, Putin now has... Uh, way more control of that area turkey is is doing their whole slaughter gang thing and yes. um assad is happy too and it's just like it, nothing good came of that so donald trump he praised uh Muslim abdi is the man's name that is the kurdish uh rebel i suppose for lack of a better term he uh he praised him in a tweet as donald trump loves uh to dictate from the toilet a.k.a. via Twitter. This is what he had to say. I really enjoyed my conversation with General Maslum Abdi. He appreciates what we have done, and I appreciate what the Kurds have done. The tweet goes on. Perhaps it's time for the Kurds to start heading to the oil region. Again, it's going to be very difficult for them if we decide not to put sanctions on uh, the Turkish leadership. Of course, Turkey is a U.S. ally. I understand that. Erdogan is a horrible, horrible person who, honestly, one day will not be in power and the world will be better, better off for it. But anyway, so that's the most recent developments when it comes to Donald Trump's first tweet about taking the troops out. And, and now, of course, he's sort of uh, gone back on his word, as he always does. So didn't, there you go. It didn't work out. It, it didn't, didn't work I mean, out. it could have. I, I, you know what? It whatever. didn't work out. I'm uh, sorry, Trump. It didn't work out. It did not work out. And we'll see if he ends up giving Erdogan what he wants. Uh, it doesn't seem as if a lot of people want him to do that. Um, a bipartisan group of senators have asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to help secure a visa for Abdi to visit the U.S. and discuss the way toward, forward in Syria. So we will see. If he ends up, I don't know, being sacrificed to Erdogan or if he ends up coming to America and having a safe haven. So, anywho, that's that. We will also talk a little bit about this. Uh, Donald Trump, his organization is thinking about selling that Washington, D.C. hotel. Did you see that? Yes. Thinking about unloading that there. Get rid of that. Also, we're going to continue on with uh, Giuliani. I have no, this, the probe, the Giuliani probe. Now, speaking of his butt, now I mentioned the word probe. This is a disgusting mm -hmm. episode. It is getting worse for him. Without a, like, things aren't like happy go lucky in the Giuliani home. Uh, although I do think he just kind of lives alone. Maybe he sleeps in <laughs> the think, corner upside well, down like a bat. He is, he is, uh, he just had his third divorce. He's had quite a few of those. He is, he is paying alimony out the i i understand why he's butt dialing people and screaming i need cash he needs friends because his his alimony checks must be in the the alimony that he pays must be insane absolutely also we're going to give you some updates on what's going on when it comes to the uh democrats in the impeachment inquiry what's happening with that uh bill taylor testified this was pretty big testimony yes. it was interesting 
Uh, we haven't heard too much because Adam Schiff and the Dems are keeping it pretty under wraps. You know, they're not really talking about what's going on behind closed doors. Of course, we also had recently the Freedom Caucus led by Representative Jordan storming the gates. Uh, did you see this? Where they stormed the halls? What with Matt Matt Gates? Matt Gates, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they basically and Representative Jim Jordan, was, another I Freedom mean, Caucus guy. It yeah. was a scene right out right out of uh, Three Hundred. I mean, it was heroic. Yeah, minus the abs it, and true weapons, but yeah. No, yeah, it was very inspiring. Um, a bunch of Republicans who had who had all of the information that everyone in that secret room did, but mm-hmm. um, they they decided to make a big kabuki performance of it yeah yes indeed a bit of political theater and my goodness the whole world is a stage for these politicians in washington dc and what a great show it's been we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on with the impeachment inquiry travis is going to bring us some information as far as what did bill taylor say under oath actually breaking some real news it's it a is, lot of times well it's the thing that i i would say that caused that big 300 Yes. Uh, reenactment. The This is Sparta moment was definitely caused by uh, by Bill Taylor's testimony. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we're going to get into a little bit of that. Also, uh, there is a potential another presidential candidate. Did you hear about this? The uh, CEO. No. <laughs> the CEO. The world need. We need a hero. Uh-huh. And sometimes that hero, they sell basketballs and they sell footballs and they sell hunting gear and tents. And is the next candidate the Bass Pro Shop? No, not Bass Pro Shop. Rather, the next potential presidential candidate that will no no doubt be running as a Republican uh, is Dick's Sporting Goods CEO, Ed Stack. Damn. His name isn't even Dick, okay? So the entire campaign is predicated on a lie to begin with. Well, that's like Ruth's Chris's Steakhouse. I have no idea why they named it that. It's a horrible name. I think it was a divorce. It was a divorce. Yeah, yeah it was a it was a big divorce that, and she wanted to stick it to Chris. And right. She named it Ruth's Chris's Steakhouse. It's the worst name for any steakhouse, and honestly, that's why I've never gone there. We've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. I know you don't eat meat, so there isn't a reason for you to go there. But I like a good steak. But I'm just not going to a name to a restaurant that I can't say after I've had ten BLs. RC, I, I R- can't say it. R- Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? RC Steakhouse. Let's shorten it. See, make, now you're getting Make there. it cleaner. I do like that. So we'll talk a little bit about what Ed Stack is doing when it comes to a potential presidential bid. Wait, this guy just announced. He's announced that he is not running while at the same time spending, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on focus groups to see if he should run. And the question is, in this election cycle, do we need another billionaire businessman? Like, is that really? I don't know the ego of these people. They saw what happened with Howard Schultz. No, I, th- I, I think just that, don't know why. Did he miss the Schultz thing? Like, did he I not don't know. see that? And of course, he came to political prominence for better or for worse, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. If he would run as a Republican, and I do believe that he would, or as a third party. Uh, with maybe a libertarian or something like that, but more of a right-leaning, in some ways, right-leaning political party. Uh, I suppose he could maybe take some votes away from Trump. However, he rose to prominence because after Parkland shooting, uh, where, of course, that maniac uh, devastated Parkland High School, Dix did take away all of their semi-assault rifles. So that was a hell of a lot more than what Walmart did, which, you know, put advertisement for violent video games behind you know like further back in the store and then uh and then walmart also stopped selling certain bullets which is like thank you but of course they did not stop selling assault rifles dick's sporting goods however did and then a lot of people obviously there was some blowback and things like that and you could argue walmart should not be selling assault rifles at least dick's is a sporting goods store yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I feel like it's more in line with their brand to sell guns than Walmart's. But hey. And did Biden stop selling guns at his sporting goods store? Uh, hey, that's a good question. That's a good question. But before we get to all of that, let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard. My God, buddy, what happened? This has been a rough week for the Tulsi. Um, Hillary Clinton said that she was a Russian asset. She didn't really say it, but Hillary Clinton is like, wink, wink. The Russians are attempting to get a Democratic candidate to run third party. 
But my question is this, Travis. What party would Tulsi Gabbard run with that would filter votes away from the Democrats? She's too moderate to run, to run with the Green Party. Other than that, the only other parties that are possible, it's basically Libertarian Party, and then it's it. So what, what party could she run with as a third party that would uh, pilfer votes from the Democrats? I seriously was trying to rack my head about it. She's not liberal enough for the Green Party. So what would she do? Where would she go? I just don't fully understand. Doesn't she have 1% of... Of exactly. Support. Who cares? I honestly don't understand why. Uh, this is the best thing that ever happened to her. Was Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Shadow, like, um, what do you call that when you're when you're? She just throwing shit or like subtweeting. Subtweeting. Yeah. yeah. Basically, Hillary Clinton subtweeted her and was just like, "So someone is uh, being trained by the Russians to be a Russian asset and run third party." But what party would she run with? This is apparently this is some like revenge comment for some some shit in the in the 2016 election. Apparently, Gab. Tulsi didn't like throw her support behind Hillary for so, I, something. This is, this is all old drama being brought. Literally, Hillary Clinton said this on a podcast. Yes. So that's how that's how like how you know hushed in and like drama filled this. It's just it's it's been taken to the medium of podcasts. Yes. Where um you know like in Mark Maron's garage. So mm. you can it's not it's not of any substance. Uh, it's just funny that, and she didn't even say her name. Hillary no. Clinton didn't even say Tulsi Gabbard's name. She just said uh, somebody like <laughs> she. She did mention Jill Stein being a Russian asset. Uh, yes, and then she then she um, hinted very strongly that it was Tulsi. But it, it's like to stop. It shows I you just how, don't. Get it shows it. you how much how how little momentum that Tulsi Gabbard's campaign had. That she she took this intimation that she was a Russian asset and made it in her entire platform. Right, which was anti-Hillary. And when she, she apparently she stalled a uh, a speech that she was about to give to go on Fox News. Uh, Tucker Carlson. Tuck, yeah, she stalled. She stalled a uh, a speech she was going to give for an hour to go on Tucker Carlson. <laughs> it, it's well, like, nothing's going to raise your poll numbers more man, in a like, Democratic primary than going on Tucker Carlson. You like grabbed that drive shaft and cranked it into another. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't know. I obviously Hillary. The 2016 election, I think it is sti- it's still si- uh, sticking with people. People are still upset. And obviously the Russians, and what we're seeing now, and Travis is going to bring up Facebook here in a second as well, regarding Mark Zuckerberg and what he's been up to. It would be very interesting to find out how many votes the celebrity endorsements cost Hillary Clinton. I swear to God, like the Lena Dunham Lena, rap video Lena alone. Lena Dunham has... Whether you know she likes it or not, she has altered the course of American history by rapping on I think film. It, I think it could have cost her eighteen thousand votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, in in that region. I really do. It probably <laughs> it, it, that video probably affected birth rates. Like the, oh my there, God. there were widespread ripple effects from Lena Dunham rapping. And now we have the celebrity culture going against Donald Trump, which you know it is. They have a freedom of speech; they can do whatever they want. But like when Robert De Niro. And his boys read the Mueller report, did a dramatic interpretation of the Mueller report. Oh, my God. I just don't. How do you tell people to just be like, you're not helping? Like, yeah. you're not helping anything. No one cares. I wanted to, when I heard, the, it was so cringy. I wanted Scorsese, I wanted Scorsese to use his de-aging uh, film technique yes. so that I was, um before I was born. Like, de-age me yes. to the point where I wasn't even alive yet, please. Honestly, he could use that on Biden, too. That might, that might be better for him. But going back to Tulsi, just quickly, again, this has not been the year. One of the ironies of running for president it can make your political career or it can completely sink it. I don't think, for example, Beto O'Rourke, who is still at like, I think, a 1.9, 2% on a good day. I don't think he has a political future any longer because this campaign has gone so horribly for him. And if he does go back to Texas and runs on the platform of I'm going to take your guns with mandatory buybacks, he's not even going to get he's not going to get elected dog catcher. No one's <laughs> going to elect him. So I feel like Beto kind of sunk his entire political career. And throughout this presidential uh, primary process as well, Tulsi Gabbard has said she will no longer seek re-election to Congress in 2020. So she's just like, I went from running for president to no longer seeking re-election 
uh, to Congress. Uh, this is what she had to say. She says, I'm so grateful to the people of Hawaii for allowing me to serve in Congress for the last seven years. Throughout my life, I've always made my decisions based on where I felt I could do the most good. Uh, she continues to say, in light of the challenges we face, I believe I can best serve our people of Hawaii and our country as president and commander in chief. She continued, in light of the challenges we face, I believe I can best serve the people of Hawaii and our country as president and commander in chief. So she's not running for reelection because she's, I guess, really thinking she's got a chance of being the next president of the United States. And the biggest news that has gotten her the most attention was literally just being called out by a former failed presidential candidate for potentially being a Russian asset. Not even by name. Not, Not even by name. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe it, maybe she means Biden. You <laughs> know, at this point, I don't know. I don't. Maybe Biden is the Russian asset. And I do want to say to push back just a little bit on the whole Russian asset thing. She did defend our country. She she served in the military. I don't know what this was based on. It just seems her foreign policy is a little bit perhaps more uh, dovish than some neocons or neoliberals would like it to be. It doesn't necessarily mean she's a Russian asset. I don't know. Well, dov- she, she certainly denies it. So. Dovish as in like she's pro-Assad. I, she's she's not pro-Assad. She's against regime change in Syria. That doesn't mean you're pro-Assad. She, do we want to do this again? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, I hear what you're saying. She does. Uh, there, there seems to be a lack of accountability with her foreign policy stuff. So she's gone. So there you go. So one more. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I bye mean, bye. although she is still running for president, but she's not going to oh, seek re-election. Hi, hi, and hi, hi. Hi, hi. Welcome back. Who knows? The standards for the next presidential debate, they're going to get stricter and stricter and tighter and tighter. Uh, so who knows if she'll even be able to make the next presidential debate. And honestly, I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it. Because the last one, the last that. two, I know I'm you such a, I'm a psychopath, but- my God, were the last the last two? I was like, "What? What is happening? Why are you doing this?" Anyway, um, and I don't want to hear if they ask one question about who they're friends with again. <laughs> I don't even know. This is why it's good. I don't have a firearm in my house. I think it would just be. I would watch this debate with that gun they're next gonna, to my temple. <laughs> they're gonna pull up like your Twitter likes and be like, "Why did you like this drill tweet <laughs> <laughs> on August 2016?" All right. Well, let's move on to something very important here regarding Donald Trump and the impeachment inquiry. So, Travis, yeah, let's talk about what Ambassador Bill Taylor had to say so, when he testified in front of Congress. Well, first of all, I mean, this Bill Taylor is the chief diplomat to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Trump handpicked him. So this is not some uh, layover from the Obama administration. Right, this isn't a deep state yeah. and, and also, uh, socialist Bill Taylor is like this perfect example of the credible witness too, sure. because he's he's worked it for like fifty years under Republican and Democratic presidents, mm-hmm. and he's just you know unimpeachable in the sense that nobody could sort of cast doubt on his character. Although Trump just tweeted that uh, he he does not know this man, even though he 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 hired the man himself. Well, he but, barely uh, knows Giuliani anymore. That's it's, right. it's amazing. Yeah. He's he's got a goldfish memory. Yes, these he days. does. But uh, so Bill Taylor basically outlined that there were two channels of communication uh, as it regarded Ukraine. Okay. Trump spoke with Giuliani and all of his sort of uh, wolves that he was working with. And then all of the stuff that the diplomats, the Ukrainian diplomats received was sort of the the lighter version of it. Right? Okay. Um, but one of the more fascinating things that, came out from Bill Taylor's testimony, which we don't really know in full, obviously, because it was done in uh, sort of a a closed door. A lot of closed doors there in Washington these meeting. days. Yep. But uh, one of the more fascinating things was that Bill Taylor did confirm that there was a quid pro quo. And yes. uh, furthermore, Trump had a script written yes. for President Zelensky, the, mm. the president of Ukraine, to go on CNN and to read this script uh, which confirmed his Ukrainian conspiracy that you, the Ukraine was working with Hillary Clinton uh, to sabotage the 2016 elect- elections for yes. Trump. So he had a script written that would rewrite history mm. in the way that Trump has always said that it worked out. And the way that Donald Trump is defending himself here is just so classic 
very Trumpian. Uh, he says it was not a quid pro quo, which, of course, you all know. It's basically, I'll do this if you give me that, right? And in this case, the doing is $400 million in military aid, of course, to defend Ukraine against constant Russian aggression. And in order to get that $400 bucks, which, again, was allowed, which was passed through Congress, the, they got the power of the purse, they approved it, Congress approved $400 bucks in aid, he said, you got to go on national television and diss on Hillary Clinton and diss on uh, the Bidens as well. Yeah. So it is an interesting thing that Donald Trump was like, no, I did not say he had to do that. I just said that if he wants $400 million, he should do that. And that was him trying to, like, cut the baby in half, thread the needle. And in reality, it's just admitting to doing exactly what everyone is talking about him doing, which is using the power of the presidential office, using the Oval Office to help yourself in an independent election. He's not doing the bidding for the people. That's what you're supposed to do when you're the president of the United States. He is doing, he is using military aid to benefit himself. Because, of course, Donald Trump, he does not have the ability to look outside of himself. And I just think it's very difficult for him to understand the concept of him acting on behalf of the American people, because I don't think he's ever acted on behalf of anyone other than himself ever. I mean, Bill Taylor, like 100 percent verified, trustworthy guy on on both sides of the aisle. And you have him saying, yes, these things are true. And not only that, but here are the ridiculous ways in which he he was going to make this quid pro quo come about. Um, and uh, actually, furthermore, the remember the Lev Parnas and the Fruman, uh, Giuliani's little henchmen? Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out, they, so they got arrested on the, at the airport, right? Mm -hmm. they, and they were flying to Vienna. Um, they were flying to go meet with Victor Shokin, the prosecutor that is sort of central to this whole Biden controversy. And they were going to coordinate with Victor Shokin to go on Sean Hannity to do the <laughs> same thing, to confirm the Ukraine conspiracy uh. at the same time as President Zelensky was reading Trump's script. So, so this, this is all sort of culminating. Trump was like, we need to rewrite mm -hmm. reality. But, you know, that kind of talks that plays into what we were talking about yesterday. Um, and a lot of people did comment. There is, I do want to point this out just before, you know, because I do want to clarify. There is a lot of very good journalism out there. Oh, you yeah. Know, there absolutely is. And when I criticize media, I'm mostly criticizing mainstream television media and then mainstream print media that I think can often be used for nefarious purposes. And as again, we see when it comes to the war machine, Northrop Grumman getting 11 billion bucks from the Pentagon. You know, what? who is pulling the strings here? But this is another example of why you need to have a healthy mistrust or distrust of what you see on television news specifically. Because this man, this President Zelensky, would have literally just been lying. And yeah, it and would have just ran as like, could be. And not, and, you know, not in the sense that CNN is like this nefarious bad guy that is pushing this stuff. But they also would have been gullible, I think. They love uh, it. And received every word as as sort of fact. I almost at this point think it is more nefarious because, I mean, these billionaires that, that are profiting off of these television shows, it's so much lie by omission. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation that we had yesterday, and I think we always have that conversation when it comes to a healthy mistrust of media. But also, you can't just turn your back on good journalism because we rely on good journalism, and if you don't trust true, proper checked out corroborated stories then we live in a world that we live in now where there is no such thing as truth uh it does not exist and we live in a world where alex jones helped elect the president but, of the united states but yes it is it is bitterly ironic that trump was going to have president Zelensky go on cnn his what he calls the fake news exactly and literally deliver fake news to the world and all of that stuff it's all political theater because, again, CNN gave him 20 times the coverage. And if Donald Trump wanted to go on CNN, they would say, how long do you want to be on? When do you want to be on? 
Who do you want us to be speaking with? We will do anything you want, sir. The, the SNL would have him back on this In weekend. In a minute, dude. This weekend. So Taylor, going back uh, to his testimony, again, Bill Taylor, uh, top U.S. diplomat to Ukraine, he said basically everything was contingent when it came to the military aid package. Everything was dependent on publicly, again, Zelensky publicly announcing an investigation that included Burisma, that is the company that hired Biden's son, Hunter. So it is without a doubt the most, it's the hot, this is the hot stuff. This is the, this is the steamiest testimony uh, that we have heard yet when it comes to the impeachment inquiry. And as obviously, as Travis alluded to, a lot of closed doors right now in Washington, but occasionally they open up a window and but, they let us hear a little bit. And but this can, is very interesting. You can tell how steamed the buns of the conservatives are too, the Republicans in this case, because then they immediately after Bill Taylor's uh, testimony, they did their little run yes. on the room to make sure, you know you know what this was, by the way, the because all the Republicans that did that they had access to the same information right. that the people in the in the, those rooms did. Yes. They just didn't literally sit on that committee to be in that room. Uh, what this was is they wanted to be they wanted because it's a felony to break into that to like bust into that room. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be handcuffed and walked out like like heroes. Of course, like like they wanted to be the freedom riders of the Trump impeachment inquiry, but yes. they didn't. People were just sort of like. I don't. What, what was the even the resolution of that? Did, were people Nothing. just like people just like please leave? They just left. They just they just, <laughs> they just left. They just went out to like Dave and Buster's afterwards because yes, they wanted they oh they so wanted to be in black and white photos being dragged out screaming like uh, treason or <sighs> yes. And well, speaking of freedom riders, just briefly here, uh, Representative Elijah Cummings passed away as well this week. R.I.P. Uh, Mr. Cummings, uh, his civil rights passed. You cannot deny. He was marching with Martin Luther King. He did. He was um, on the front lines when it comes to passing civil rights in this country. So he will uh, be missed. There is this beautiful video of uh, so there are a bunch of congressmen and senators recently gave a, a eulogy for right, and he was the first African American to be laid in state. So he so at this eulogy, um, I think it's Elijah Cummings' brother is walking around shaking hands with. Uh, with you know Schumer and a bunch of other people, right. and then the guy gets to Mitch McConnell and just deliberately cold shoulders him, and you actually see Mitch McConnell experience shame and sadness. <laughs> I recommend finding Aww. this video. Um, be- and then Schumer looks over at Mitch McConnell like, "Damn, you really did just get um, you just had love withheld from you." Yeah, you got stabbed. deliberately in front of everyone. Oh, his turtle shell can handle it. He's a tough boy. Um, all right. Well, let's move on here. Do you want to talk about uh, what's going on with Mark Zuckerberg yeah, so- and Facebook? Because I know this is a topic that is going to be more intense going forward as we figure out what the hell to do I mean- with these huge tech companies who have so much influence. And as Travis and I spoke about last week, Facebook saying, hey, if it ain't true, we don't care. It's it doesn't so- matter. We're it's selling so ass no matter what. It's infuriating that you have this. Our our superiors, our betters, are this fucking Lego man, right? That can he really just absorbed um, insults for eight hours and happily because he knew that that was all it took to to sort of quell the mm. anger was to let people say he had a um, his hair was you know a Lego piece or that he uh, he looked like a droid, but so Facebook is rolling out Libra. Okay, soon now, to be rolling out Libra, which now, is which Libra's is, a currency, right? It's Facebook's answer to like Bitcoin. Okay, so now is this why Zuckerberg met with the conservative leaders? Because of course, one of the ironies that we've heard no, for no, no. so long is that social media has a liberal bias. Uh, but of course, again, if you just go to Facebook, I think you'll be hard pressed to see it. Or maybe I, I, mean, I don't know. Everyone's damn crazy on that platform, so I don't actually know. But it seems like there's a lot of conservatives as well. The reason that Zuckerberg met with the House Finance Committee was Libra. The reason okay. the reason Zuckerberg is meeting with those conservatives is because the government is cracking down on Facebook for what they consider to be uh, censoring of Republican voices. Okay. And so Zuckerberg just knows where his bread is being buttered, uh-huh. and he is trying to appeal to the administration right now. Right. That's why Zuckerberg is meeting with um, right-wing commentators like Ben Shapiro oh. and Tucker Carlson. And actually, sort of even moving further from the the Libra thing, 
Facebook just announced that they're doing, they're sort of rolling out a news tab uh, on the mobile app. Uh. And uh, so they're bringing in New York Times, they're bringing in all these sort of uh, these publications, but they're also bringing in Breitbart uh, as a source of news on this news tab. And that is a clear sort of um, concession to the conservative administration because they they don't want to be pried into it any more than they already are. I can't think of a conversation between two soup eaters, and I think that's an insult, because I only see these two men eating soup, Ben Shapiro and Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. That would be, you know, the, the Ben Shapiro, I'm not going to diss on um, on a on a peer, but, but his voice is, is insane, but it's not a very good voice, that's all I'm going to say. But it is interesting that Zuckerberg would choose those people to be the ones that he needs to like reach when it comes to connecting with the other side. In this case, he believes if he can connect with Ben Shapiro, then Ben Shapiro's audience will no longer hate Facebook and that he can like heal these massive the divide, but as Travis mentioned, absolutely the dialogue and the rhetoric of people like Elizabeth Warren, people like Bernie Sanders when they talk about breaking up big tech when they talk about, as we talked about with uh, Mike Isaac, of course, the great reporter for the New York Times, when they want to talk about investigating what their actual product is, it's not about a social media forum. It's about a data collection platform. That is why Mark Zuckerberg is now sweating, and he is very willing to go full in with more of the conservative idea when it comes to uh, how Facebook would operate in the future. Did you know that uh, Zuckerberg, he only eats uh, meat that he kills? Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, that's so not he, so bad. Ben Shapiro might have been like, if I'm, I'm imagining the dinner scene. He's like, ah, did you, uh, did you kill this goat with logic? <laughs> um, but uh, Zucker, so Zuckerberg was in front of the uh, finance regulation committee, the House regulatory committee for finance, and uh, he got grilled so hard. He, he was for the Libra. Thing. It started as a Libra meeting, okay. but soon uh, AOC and a bunch of other. Uh, House committee members said, look, if we're going to talk about Libra, first we need to talk about Facebook's sort of behavior in the past. Uh, as f- If we're going to talk about you going forward with Libra, we need to talk about Facebook as it, as it has been in- historically. Okay. And they grilled him hard. They they grilled him so hard. You, c- uh, you know, I was surprised that Zuckerberg didn't pull out a bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce and, and pour it over his head. Yeah. Um, like but yeah, that. so they they uh they tore into him about um the fa- you know, we just we already talked about this, but the fact that political speech can be lies and just put on Facebook yes without any sort of uh regulation whatsoever. Right, and that's what that was all about. So now when it comes to the Libra thing, what does he want to go forward? How does he want that to go forward? Is that going to be allowed to go forward? What do we think about that? Well, so he's saying the reason he he suffered all this abuse is because he wants everyone's blessing essentially right. in the government, and it's, I think it's all a bit like theater again of because he doesn't really care what they think. Uh, this is all just so that he doesn't get hamstrung hamstrung by any of these uh, these Congress people. But so he he went in front of uh, uh, this committee and just tried to appease them but so libra is uh it's basically yeah like facebook's answer to bitcoin right it's an association of all these companies that are going to provide a cryptocurrency uh-huh. uh it's based in switzerland uh which is funny because zuckerberg is his whole thing now is like you know we can't be america can't be left behind when it comes to cryptocurrency or currency in general um, but actually, it's all—it's an association based in Switzerland. So this this idea that uh, he's somehow this patriot that is promoting the advancement of our country is is a little bit like rich. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they they asked him all these questions, and ultimately, the entire committee found him to be uh, just kind of like a smug liar uh, who couldn't really keep his shit together for for the entire time. Right. All right. Well, there it is. The announcement of Libra from Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's going to continue to heat up for him. The light that is being shined on Facebook uh, is not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, Facebook also has a bit of a problem with one of its peers. And of course, that peer is Twitter. 
And Jack Dorsey of Twitter has been challenging Mark Zuckerberg's free speech address. This is according to Jack Dorsey, who, again, I don't care. I don't care about him. I hate what he created. I think he's uh, actively playing a role in giving us this dystopian hell future that we're currently living in. But Twitter chief executive Jack Dorsey said this Thursday that he's not buying what Mark Zuckerberg is selling when it comes to free speech. He was commenting on Zuckerberg's high wattage address at Georgetown a week ago. Uh, that's where, of course, the Facebook founder talked about how he has a hard line on free speech. This is what Dorsey said. He said there is a major gap and flaw in his logic. He goes on to say, we talk a lot about speech and expression and we don't talk about reach enough and we don't talk about amplification. He continues, reach and amplification were was not represented in that speech, he added that Zuckerberg's invocation of the Iraq war as a motivator for the creation of Facebook, built as a tool to rate college students' attractiveness, chipped away at Zuckerberg's authenticity and genuineness when it comes to him defending free speech uh, as opposed to confronting obvious lies. So it is a tricky thing. I understand they got to walk a tightrope here because it is a platform and people are supposed to be able to speak, but it's not about people not being able to speak on the platform. This is specifically about people paying for ads, whether they be political or not political, and purposely planting seeds of disinformation, which is exactly what happened. If you look at 2016, platforms were doing that all over the internet. 4chan was full of more misinformation uh, than a 1960s uh, cigarette ad. I mean, it was crazy how much misinformation was spread online. So I do think if you're going to have a platform like Facebook, you have a responsibility to make that platform as genuine as possible. And Zuckerberg's response to why allow all these lies on your platform is he, he's he's taking a bunch of like really bullshit noble stances. He thinks that in a he kept he kept repeating this uh, this sentence in a democracy. Right. Um, so he he thinks that people should be able to judge the uh the soul of the politician by witnessing that they are trying to lie to you however what he does not sort of seem to acknowledge is that facebook it democratizes both lies and truths so that it all looks the same on the page so you'd have to be a real sleuth or like do a bunch of digging to figure right. out if the if something is a lie and you know, sadly, as we've found out, a lot of people don't want to put that effort in, and it's easier to just play into your confirmation bias. But yeah, but also, yeah, I mean, you can't. I don't know. I don't expect some eighty-five-year-old old woman to be trying to parse the, you know, read between the lines of a politician uh, who's who's trying to to lie to them about uh, a voting record or something. Right. Um, but another another way. Speaking of that Georgetown um, speech that he gave about about free speech. He's doing this thing now because we've all seen the social network, the movie. Mm -hmm. We know we know the origins of Facebook. Yeah, of course. We know that it was a hot or not dating site. It's a booby site. Well, this is <laughs> this is what he is saying about the origins of Facebook now. He uh, this is a quote from him. When I was in college, our country had just gone to war in Iraq. The mood on campus was disbelief. It felt like we were acting without hearing a lot of other important perspectives. The toll on soldiers, families, and our national psyche was severe, and most of us felt powerless to stop it. I remember feeling that if more people had a voice to share their experiences, maybe things would have gone differently. Those early years shaped my belief that giving everyone a voice empowers the powerless and pushes society to be better over time. Back then, I was building an early version of Facebook for my community, and I got to see my beliefs play out at smaller scale. He built <laughs> Facebook... <laughs> because of the Iraq war and if here is the is that right the the, the implication seems to be um if facebook was around before the Iraq war he could have prevented the Iraq war he could have prevented the death of millions of people if we only had oh yeah no it, it wouldn't have been used to just push forward the narrative that we weapons of mass destruction were all over Iraq if, it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't have been used to get more and more troops on the ground literally, it would have stopped the war in Iraq yeah, the, yeah, war, yeah. the war in Iraq was based on a lie and that lie would have been everywhere propagated out the fucking wazoo on Facebook absolutely absolutely so that is cute that he thinks he would have stopped the Iraq war um, but I think that that's really, a little bit of revisionist history on his part. That is genuinely charming. I mean, he would have just been rating how attractive Iraqi women are <laughs> because that was the name. That was the whole point of the website. Um, but nonetheless, all right. 
So that is a little bit of Mark Zuckerberg news. Let's move on briefly here. I want to talk about Iowa and how these candidates are doing because Pete Buttigieg is doing very well in Iowa. He has some polling now where they show him at second or a close third. Elizabeth Warren also doing well in Iowa, sort of going back and forth with Joe Biden, depending on what polls you're looking at. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is uh, Pete Buttigieg is going all in when it comes to winning the caucus on February 3rd, of course, of next year in Iowa. He has 47 uh, different offices set up. He has 47 offices, campaign offices. The only person who has the same amount is Elizabeth Warren, also with 47 offices set up. And then it goes down from there. I believe Joe Biden has 30 offices. And of course, these things take a lot of money. And Buttigieg continues to be a moneymaker. Of course, as Travis mentioned on last week's episode, a lot of those are big donations um, from a small group of people, kind of an opposite approach to uh, fundraising as Bernie Sanders has or as Elizabeth Warren has. But nonetheless, he finds himself in a position where Iowa was in is within striking distance and I think a lot of people are surprised by that because it doesn't really reflect itself on the national polling data we have polling data that has him you know seven percent as far as the second tier candidates go he's probably the sixth man of the year you know I think he's the best second tier candidate um, at least by the polling numbers obviously Andrew Yang Klobuchar uh, Harris you know these people are who aren't really getting much over five, mostly under five. Mm. Uh, occasionally you see a poll where Harris is at like six or so. But Buttigieg is really going all in in Iowa. And it would be a surprise, I think, to a lot of people if he is able to, you know, play second or m- miraculously pay, uh, place first. Momentum really matters once the voting starts. And Iowa and New Hampshire are two states that Elizabeth Warren looks well in. And Biden, again, he's doing okay, but it looks to me like it is possible that Warren or Buttigieg takes either one or both New Hampshire or Iowa. And of course, that's because Iowa is a 91% white state. And as we've seen in the past, when it comes to South Carolina, when it comes to um, African-American support, the majority do still support Joe Biden. Although, as we talked about, I think two episodes ago, Elizabeth Warren is now at about 20%. Of, uh, of black support. So she's rising within that demographic. But I think Biden will do better in those southern states that have more of an African-American population. But going forward in those white states like New Hampshire and Iowa, I guess don't be surprised if you see Buttigieg uh, um, coming away with a victory. Well, in uh Buttigieg is a very good buddy now of Mark Zuckerberg, so don't be surprised if you see positive ads (laughs) about Buttigieg. So there are some different uh, theories as far as like how important is Iowa and how important is New Hampshire. So apparently in 1970, there was reforms made to the primary system. So this allowed Jimmy Carter to surprise a lot of people by winning the Iowa caucuses in 1976. Uh, Therefore, a lot of people saw Iowa as like, wow, This is essential if you want to become president of the United States. Winning Iowa or New Hampshire will likely be critical for someone in 2020 as well. Senator Elizabeth Warren is currently in the lead in both places. Now, that's according to 538. So take that with a bit of a grain of salt because I think they still have a lot of egg on their face when it comes to their horrific polling data of 2016 combined with the pompous attitude of nate silver yeah the i mean he literally like anyone who questioned 538 he's like mm, yeah uh, you're an idiot and it's like well it turns out just because you look like a nerd doesn't make you smart numbers don't lie except when they do very very much yeah, so yeah. oftentimes they can actually as a matter of fact so she barely leads in iowa right now it's around a one point lead but nonetheless that would be a huge victory but there are some other people who say Okay, you know, if you look at different things, you you see like, so you do see people like Rick Santorum who won Iowa and didn't go anywhere, but then you also can look at people like John Kerry um, who won Iowa. Uh, You look at uh, Barack Obama who was trailing by double digits to Hillary Clinton, and then he won Iowa and gained a lot of support. So when people talk about why do these states matter, it's obviously not all the electoral votes in the world. But it's about momentum. And for those that follow politics, you know campaigns, just like a good sporting team. If you look at what happened with the Washington Nationals, for example, in baseball, they started off, I think, like 19 and 31. 
and uh, and then they are now possibly going to win the World Series because they got on a hot streak, they got a lot of momentum, and they're carrying that with them into the World Series. Primaries and campaigns are very similar to that. Then there's another case that are saying that says Iowa and New Hampshire matter less and less, and this argument is being made because of the changing in demographics. The main reason being that Iowa and New Hampshire don't look like the National Democratic Party and therefore might not be the best indicators of what the party wants. As I mentioned earlier, 91% of people in Iowa are white and 91% of people in New Hampshire are white, with 3% being African American. In a primary electorate, which is actually 66% white and 20% black, whereas the 14 states that vote on Super Tuesday look much, low, much, much more like the Democratic Party. 62% of these voters were white in 2016, while 18% black. So there's a case to be made that the changing demographic of our country and the diverse demographic uh, that vote Democrat are not really represented in Iowa and New Hampshire, again, basically because it's a hom- in a homogenous culture that is vast majority of people, uh, with the vast majority of people being white. But nonetheless, if Buttigieg is able to, you know, get second uh, or first in a place like Iowa or New Hampshire, it could be what he needs to get this campaign, you know, going even faster than it currently is, because certainly uh, he's going to need to get some more momentum if he wants to continue the ride. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Absolutely. All right. And we got one more thing here to talk about. Um, Mitch McConnell, everyone's favorite uh, turtley, turtley guy. As we as we approach, you know, you know, as as the impeachment inquiry goes on, I've been thinking about Mitch McConnell. You have been. I've been picking up a frame and stroking it ever so tenderly looking at my. At my Mitch McConnell portrait. Yeah, like what every Irish Catholic does with Pope Francis. Yes, exactly. I've been, yeah. uh, you know, clasping my rosary beads and, Good. and and thinking of Mitch McConnell. But I, I honestly do think there is a there is a possibility that Mitch McConnell says, "Oh, you know what? Trump is no is no good for for the GOP at this point because he he has fucked up so badly that I not only will I allow a trial to happen." But I'll actually just sort of make sure that he is actually impeached. Okay, I'm not uh, quite sold on that. But what gives you that idea? No, I just because he has sort of signaled um, publicly that uh, Trump's in some, you know, in a dark spot right now. The White House is in a in a dark spot. Yeah, and I feel like he is the thing that stands between uh, Trump getting impeached. Ultimately, I would say. Of course. Right? Um, so I wonder if he will. I don't know. Do something surprising there if if Trump if Trump is reckless enough to endanger the geo, the the party overall right um but then that got me thinking no other person in American politics has you know helped ensure the unlimited flow of dark money into politics he was oh yeah he helped with uh, Citizens United of course um, he is responsible for the sort of incremental changeover of the Supreme Court to conservative justices yep. um, and then I was just looking. It's uh all the all the uh the campaign contributions that have helped him uh that that are helping right. him with his reelection. Where's he getting that cash from? Well, it's funny because these are all these are all companies that uh, claim to to be sort of climate change pro- have progressive ideas about climate change. Okay. Um, Microsoft donated thirty thousand dollars to keep Mitch McConnell in office. Uh huh. Um, they Microsoft says it considers global warming a crisis and and it calls for clear action to mitigate its worst impacts. But oh yeah, just thirty thousand like dollars went to Mitch McConnell, who okay. who continues to um. Call. You got. I mean, th- there are people in that caucus like uh, what was it, uh, Inhofe, who literally showed up to the uh, Senate floor with a snowball. Just being like proof, defendant yes. proof. It's but, nothing happened. Climate's but, totally fine. This is and, snowball. You know, Mitch McConnell is. He is dedicated to blocking climate change legislation and also putting in in uh, justices that deny climate change. Right. Okay. So um, Microsoft thirty k. Microsoft thirty k. Facebook twenty k. Uh-huh. Went to Mitch McConnell's reelection. Famously, Mark Zuckerberg has said that uh, inaction on climate change puts our children's future at risk. Um, he called for collective action to address climate change before it is too late. 
but uh, he has donated ten thousand dollars, the maximum uh-huh. you can donate to Mitch McConnell's reelection campaign, and ten thousand to Mitch McConnell's leadership pack. Uh, CVS right. donated thirty thousand dollars to keep Mitch McConnell in office. Uh, CVS notes that climate change is effect is affecting global health, uh-huh. and says the company can play a meaningful meaningful role in helping to reverse its devastating effects. So uh, thirty thousand dollars to Mitch. Interesting. Um, Johnson and Johnson donated twenty thousand. <laughs> Pfizer donated twenty five thousand to Mitch, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so you have all these. And I mean, on that level again, you, we were talking about what Facebook is going to look like. Can you trust Facebook? Obviously, when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, Mark Zuckerberg has said that he does not want her to win. That is going to lead to some bias on that platform. There's just no way. That's just how human beings work. Not just the climate change aspect of that, but Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer. I mean, we got the opioid epidemic, which is heating up, and these companies, man, they are scared that there could be um, legal action taken against them, and there has been some already. So there is no denying that they are trying to, you know, butter, butter up the bun and uh, and wet the whistle of certain politicians that think that they think will have their back. But, uh, yeah, I got these stats from Heated.World. Uh, Heated.World. Climate change newsletter. I so it's even – climate peruse. change is obviously a, a fascinating phenomenon that's occurring that has to be talked about and addressed, and then that doubles as well. When it comes to big pharma and when it comes to big tech, what they are doing and how influential they are on our lives. And we just have to remember uh, that oftentimes these uh, places that we go uh, don't exist for our best interest. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And of course, yeah, we can talk about Julie. We'll talk more about Giuliani next week. It just continues to get worse. Maybe he'll butt dial another reporter. And again, Ed Stack the CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, He is flirting around with the idea of a uh, presidential bid, and he will get absolutely nowhere. Oh, and also, I just want to end on a good note. GM workers approve contract and end the strike. This is the United Auto Workers Union. They approved a new contract with General Motors this past Friday, ending a strike that idled tens of thousands of workers for almost six weeks. The union announced the result on its website in a letter to local union officials. It said the contract was approved by about 57% of the nearly 41,000 members who cast their vote. GM could call skilled trade workers who maintain production machinery back to work as soon as Saturday to begin preparing plants uh, to resume operations. It looks like the union got a bit of what they wanted. All full-time hourly workers will be able to reach the top wage of $32 an hour within four years, putting an end to a two-tier wage system that has that has really screwed over the workers. Each UAW worker will also be paid a bonus of $11,000. Healthcare terms are unchanged, with workers paying about 3% of the cost, well below the portion paid by GM's salaried employees. So it looks like there was a win when it comes to workers, uh, when it comes to the GM strike. Uh, So that is some good news, because obviously, you know, unions are not perfect. But you look at what Scott Walker did in Wisconsin, devastating a very pro-union state, dismantling the teachers' union, devastating our education in Wisconsin. The right to work is literally just a cute way of naming a piece of legislation that takes away the rights of workers. That's always what they do. It's always like, how could you be against the right to work? It's because that's not what the legislation actually does. It's a cute name, like Operation uh, Iraqi freedom. Yes. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and we really appreciate it. You can email me at uh, what's 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 the email? The Last Podcast Network at you, Gmail. Yeah, you can email me at the Last Podcast Network at gmail.com. Just put Abelgan's top ad in the subject, and I will definitely get that forwarded to me. And I will see you all in Nashville, October twenty seventh, uh, for a screening of Hail Yourself, America at Zanies. Because, you know, it's just going to be zany. I'm going to wear I'm going to wear shoes on my head and gloves on my feet. I have no idea what zany is. Whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do. But I will see you all in Nashville. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Rudy, we'll- Rudy Giuliani, if you're listening, but dial me a pizza. But, oh, yeah. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka golden ticket is all mine.